Welcome back to the Zero Year Podcast. I am your host, Denny Duma, producer Carl, wearing his beautiful Hawaiian purple shirt today. It's looking good. Uh, we're going to be sharing some excellent newest BC craft beer today. My guest is from Ottawa, and I heard that their beer scene is not as good as ours. So I'm introducing Nick to, well, we've got six. We'll see how many we get through. Uh, all, all six. We're going to get through six, <laughs> six Dylan Oak beers tonight. Uh, the first one, Nick, I'm going to get your uh, opinion on it. It is a new, is a beer that they just uh, canned today. I'm not allowed to say what it's called. It is a dark smoked lager. As you can tell, it does not look like a lager. But uh, I don't know. Give it a whirl, Nick. Man, I know you think. It's, it's honestly growing on me every sip. I like unique beers. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in um, in Europe, in Germany, I would go with like the wildest beer on the menu. Like what's the craziest shit you have? Yeah. Get it to me. I wouldn't always like it, but I like kind of trying that side of the Just spectrum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this one's different. Like every sip, it gets better. Again, I don't think I could have like 10 of these. You're going out with the boys or, you know, tailgating at a Seahawks game. This is not <laughs> a little heavy, but the first two or three, hundred percent. It's hard 100%. to uh, like envision this being a lager, but to me, like that first taste when it hits your tongue is lagerish. Yep. But then you get like this dark malty chocolatey flavor. It's uh, incredible. A little sweet almost at the a end. A little bit. There. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Very well, impressive. There's our non-descriptive we version. These guys of, in the LCBO. We just like cold beer. Big time. We have like a alcohol monopoly in Ontario right now. There's only one. I one don't shop. think Steel and Oak distributes outside of BC to be honest. Honestly, I think it gets tricky when you're shipping cross province, yeah, which yeah. is crazy. I've heard they're like archaic very archaic uh, laws when it comes to um, cross provincial stuff. So for example, you know, in Ontario, we don't have many, if any of the BC wineries and vice versa. Not many, if you go to Bimini's or anywhere out here, you won't see any from, or you won't see many from the Niagara region. I had Jordan on the podcast. Who's uh, the co-owner of Steel and Oak. And he was saying like, they've explored going into Alberta and they can do it. It's just, they can't control the quality of the beer because they don't know how long it's going to be sitting on shelves in Alberta. So that's uh, the reason that they haven't gone into Alberta yet. It's not it's a huge so risk. much like policy, which they can get around. It's more like it's going to be shipped there. So it's going to be shipped in a week or something. Yeah. And then they, how popular BC, are they, they be? feel like they can control how quickly the beer is. Yeah. Well, it's predictable, right? And drank because they don't add preservatives and they don't want it sitting in a can for more than X amount of time. Yeah. I I wonder if they could set up shop in different provinces, just similar systems maybe, but we need them in Ontario. One way or another business plan. Yeah, we should (laughs) bring it seriously. Bring this to Ontario. This would make a killing man. And it's just got such a unique brand. I find so many craft beers, just they focus on the beer, which is a good thing, but they always, they never do. Not often anyway. There are a few good ones, but some it's like they just slapped it together. And this seems really intentional, really well thought out. Consistency, like when you go into their their brewery and you see all the different beers and the merch they have, which is sick. It's very consistent, yeah. which is such a good um, quality for, for a strong brand. You know, it's recognizable. Totally. Those hats are sick too. They are. They look good. Yeah. Yeah. My girl, I got my girl the long sleeve. She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight is going to be a mix of craft beer talk mixed with, as you can probably tell, Nick is a marketing media guy talking about branding. Yep. Uh, a little background info on Nick and then I'll let him introduce himself. 
Nick is basically the definition of a young entrepreneur. He has a ton of shit going on. Uh, he founded a media company called Waterbridge Media in his first year of university, which he still runs. Uh, he is now a part owner of a restaurant in Ontario, which I want to ask you about. Yep. Because I worked in the restaurant industry for five or six years. So did I. I did didn't you? last too well, though. <laughs> but a couple funny stories for sure. Did you like cook or bartend? Uh, or? So I was a cook. I worked at uh, my first... My first restaurant job was Eastside's, Eastside Mario's. I don't know if that's a thing out here. It is. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was in Eastside's and I was the pizza, pizza salad cook. Did okay. <laughs> I lasted about a month and a half, <laughs> maybe. Um, and then the second one was this place in, in Ottawa is, is these young entrepreneurs at the time they were young. Now they're a little bit older, but I think they have four restaurants. Johnny connects It is like our neighborhood, uh, you know, the happening spot. And, um, what ended up happening, I worked there for a couple months and it was, uh, I said, you know, I, I don't want to work on, on, uh, weeknights, like on school nights, because like when you close, you're there till 1230 and I, this is during university. Uh, no high school. And yeah, okay. I wasn't a big morning guy, like still not a big, morning. like you could, you could message me at 2am and you'll hear back from me. But if you message me at like seven in the morning, you won't hear back from me for at least a couple hours. I like to ease into my day a little bit. And so I told them, don't schedule me on a school night. And what do they do? They schedule me on a Sunday. So a school night, but it was gray cup Sunday. So I was like, fuck that. I'm done quitting. Here you go. Resume. Resignation. Never coming back. My dad was so pissed at the time, but that's actually when I knew. For sure, for sure, that like I can't work for someone else, selfishly or not, right? And I was so like a young, born. a young snot nosed kid, but um, yeah, that's when I really realized, like, no, I can't do this uh, for someone else. I'm only halfway through your resume. Yeah, sorry, so let, let <laughs> I'll shut up. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what this part means, but I'm gonna say it. Uh, he is an investor and a a business advisor in a quantum cyber security company. Yeah way over my head. Uh, and he is a co-founder of the breaking the plane football camp, which is associated with Marshawn Lynch's camps. Yeah. Yeah, which exactly. Is cool. Which is something I'm, I'm actually really proud of a good friend of mine, Hamza, shout out Hamza. Uh, he works at Shopify in Ottawa and, uh, his role is to basically account manage a lot of these big accounts. So he's got some really cool people. Marshawn, he does YG. I think he did some stuff with Kyrie. He did some. He did the Drake Scorpion release. Like he's a pretty savvy guy, and people like him. So the celebs who work with Shopify tend to gravitate towards him. Anyways, he had helped Marshawn out on his site, and Beast Mode does a lot of apparel every month. Like it's a Marshawn is one of the most impressive business people that no one knows about. The guy does crazy, crazy smart, savvy plays. As you would know, I guess the Seahawks, big Seahawks guy. I'm a huge Marshawn fan. Oh, huge. buddy. And I was too, right? And so um, so Hamza came to me and he was, actually went to a friend of ours who was one of Shopify's early employee mutual friend. And he said, I want to do this camp with Sean. Um, and Sean has two cousins, Josh Johnson, who's a quarterback in the league. He played for the Skins this year. I think he started five or six games, but he's been in the league for like 10 years. Okay. And Marcus Peters okay. is his other cousin. And they founded um, Fam First Foundation out of Cali, essentially a way to give back to the community. They just won the, I think last year, the Uber Black California Charity of the Year. They beat out, like, think about California, all the tech yeah, companies there, on. they were some big, big stuff. And so they wanted to hold their first international camp 
a hundred percent free. Like these, they want to just treat the kids to an experience that, that they'll never forget. So yeah. Hams and I got connected and we just like got along really, really well, have similar backgrounds, you know, immigrant families and just kind of chill vibe. He's major sneakerhead and like all this kind of cool stuff. So got along great. And we slowly started planning and shit just came together, man. I think we had maybe 10 weeks to do it, which in like camp in event life, that's a crazy timeline. And a lot of people were saying, you're crazy. We had some pushback all over the place, but him and I were just like, fuck it, man. If we have to do this all ourselves, we'll do it all ourselves. We don't care. Um, and man, it ended up being great success. 300 kids sold out completely free, fed them the whole day, had all these NFLers, a couple CFLers come out. It was just a great experience. Sean and the guys, they brought like a ton of their friends and family. I think 14, 15 of them came up to Ottawa. This is cool. We got to show them around. We partied a bit. We had a pop up. Um, Man, the impact was insane. Like, kids at the end were crying. Like, I saw a kid walking out with his dad. He was crying. He's like, that was the best day ever. He's like, Marshawn gave me a handoff. Like, crazy. And, and I'm just like, that's exactly why we did this, right? We didn't take any money. It was completely free. Marshawn funded his entire friends and family to come up. Like, like they just want to give back to kids. And, like, it's interesting because, you know, Marshawn with adults is how you see him on TV. You, like there's not much to talk about here. You know, he's like, if you're not one of his type boys, there's not much to talk about. <laughs> but when you see this guy with a kid, man, it's like night and day. He is like, he makes this kids, these kids world. Like he was interacting with some of these kids. I'm like, that's nuts. And actually one of my best friends, he, I invited a bunch of my friends that I played ball with. You'll come coach, come volunteer. It's a cool experience. He got to hand the ball off to Marshawn. He was a quarterback growing up. So that was like his like claim to fame in football. Like he played 15 years, but his claim to fame was handing it off to Marshawn at a, at a kid's football camp. Um, so yeah, we're really proud of that. And we're going to do it again this year. Um, we may actually do one in Vancouver at some point as well. Because as you know, the Seahawks are big, uh, big up here. And hence Marshawn's fan base. Is I love the Seahawks. Yeah. I went to three games this year. Man, that's crazy. You're almost Isn't a season so, ticket holder. Like we're so, I wish I was a season ticket holder, but that wait Hard, list is right? like 20 years. I heard that. I have a friend who's been on for seven years and he's still number 4,500 on the wait list. Should just put your name on at the end of the day. By that time, you'll be able to afford the I'll be 65. 50 yeah, the 50 Gs it might cost every year. I hear that stadiums football incredible. Football uh, season tickets are awesome, though, because there's only eight games plus two preseason. Well, right? it's doable, right? Yeah. Especially Seattle. I know, like, 25% of all Bills season ticket holders are Canadian. Is that right? Crazy How amount. How far away is that from? From me, seven hours. From okay. Toronto, like, two and a bit. Oh, that's it. Okay. So very, very doable. Similar, Similar to Seattle, yeah. Very doable, right? And Bills Mafia, like crazy tailgate they fucking party man like those the table shit like that really happens and it happens all over the place like shit's on fire people are passed out like it is rowdy because it's, it's out in the middle of nowhere literally a stadium plopped like in a farm farmland yeah which most stadiums are like you know urban centers kind of thing not this one so i Do would you, recommend you gotta let me know if you get a uh vancouver session absolutely because uh we definitely need some help <laughs> I would definitely lean on you. I got a couple of football buddies out here, but it, it really does. It takes uh one of the one of the things they say all the time at Famfers, it takes a village. Totally. And and that they believe in that. They live it. All their boys support it. They support the community like crazy. Like Sean just did a deal where he bought fuck like millions of dollars worth of phones for the community just to hand out a deal with Sprint. And they end up paying for the phones by like every month you have to do like 30 minutes of surveys or whatever. 
So it ends up getting paid back, but this guy's financing people's phones in the community. Like, for, for what? Really? Because oh. he's such a community dude. And the media never talks, rarely talks about that, about him. But, like, this guy would, like, he would literally give, give the shirt off his back, which was so cool to see. It's not how he's painted in the media, right? One of the guys on a real estate team played... <clears throat> Uh, played football at UBC. Oh no way! And my brother played at SFU, so I'm wow. like a fairly I connected actually, with I local. I highly considered FSU. SFU. Yeah, SFU. Uh, Simon Fraser. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I was going, they had just went to. They're part of like a div. They uh, they play the American teams. It's not a div one school, but it's yeah. they're part of like a div two. Um, and actually, the quarterback for UBC today comes from my end of town in Ottawa, O'Connor. He played at Penn State. New guy. Yeah. Newish, he he led them to the Vanya a couple of years ago, if you recall. Okay. Yeah, that's him. A guy I went to high school with played, or was their quarterback for f- five years, but maybe he. It, it must have been right after. Yeah, this right guy's after. pretty young, like he's quite a bit younger than us, kind of thing. But uh, he was at Penn State on a full ride, and then ended up coming up here, and they won a Vanya in his first year. Good for him. Crazy. Yeah. I feel like we could just talk about sports all day. Yeah, sports <laughs> sports podcast. <laughs> sports background, obviously. Yeah. Um one of the things I like talking about is just like where does the entrepreneurial gene come from? That is a hundred percent uh my dad, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So my dad is a um my dad's a Croatian immigrant. So he came he was born in ra- born in Zagreb, which is the Croatian capital, raised in uh, Virovitica, which is about two hours outside the capital, like legit farmland. And like for me, like growing up, it was crazy because, um, you know, I was by all accounts, I was a spoiled kid. I kind of had everything I wanted, you know, a, a well-off kid from the suburbs. Right. But he would always tell me, uh, you know, you, you have no idea what it's like in the middle of winter. I'd have to walk a hundred yards to the outhouse and back. And you know, every parent's got that kind of old school start. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And in 20, thank you. In 2012, I actually had an opportunity to go back to Croatia with him, which was really cool. And they brought me to, um, so his parents worked out of Zagreb and his grandmother took care of him and five or six cousins in Virovitica, like on the farm. And they took me back to the farmhouse. Um, and man, it was, it was crazy. Like it was fucking, it legit was a shack. Like it was like, it barely had like there was holes like across the roof and I'm just like that to me was like a surreal surreal moment because it was like holy fuck like my dad's a fairly successful guy he's a estate planner for wealthy families across Canada so he does well for himself and to see like the the rags to riches kind of transformation was was eye-opening for me for sure and made me appreciate it a little bit more and made me want to engage with the Croatian community that much more and see if I can bring business there or vice versa. Very hardworking people. How old was your dad when he moved over here? He was uh, 12 or 13. Okay. So they moved to Acton, Ontario. And unfortunately, they were in a crash and both his parents died in the same crash. So his fucking, you know, barely knows English. He, He goes through this. His... Aunt and uncle who had also immigrated to adopt him. I call them buckets Adidas. So like my pseudo grandparents kind of thing growing up. And they had also adopted him, but he was like a special kind of athlete. Like he would, he was, he played pro soccer in Toronto for a Croatian team. Um, he had 13 full ride scholarships in grade 11, 95th percentile in the SATs. At one point he was like 315, 6'5", running a, running a 4'8". 
because he works sprinting with Croatian sprinters. So like just like one of those typical like you know Eastern European roots, right? Um, but he didn't have any guidance. Like he had three or four Ivy League schools that that offered him full rides. Florida State full ride is a middle linebacker. He was that fast. But he had no guidance. He took a year off and ended up going all the way. You and he weighed how much? Three fifteen. Maybe a little less at that time. And uh, he wanted his, to play middle linebacker? They wanted him to because of how <laughs> fast he was, which is fucking crazy, man. For people who don't like football, a typical middle linebacker is what, like 6'4", 245? That's like a big one, yeah. too. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, you know, that's that's a big one. So, um, so yeah, he had all those. He ended up going to Ottawa U, um, which worked out because that's where he met my mom and, and everything. So that's why I'm here. But um, the entrepreneurial gene definitely comes from him. I mean, he... he um, he was playing in the CFL. He got drafted to the CFL. Um, fucked up his thumb a couple times, and then was just like, "They're like, oh, we just got to re-break it and go through this again." And he's like, uh-huh. "I'm done. You're making thirty G's a year, like fucking up your body. Like it's not worth it." <laughs> so he started his business, and you know, it just grew and grew and grew. And um, he is not entrepreneurial in the sense like me. Like he has many businesses and many interests, but he's entrepreneurial in the sense that like he is his own man. He started his company. He runs his company. It was at some point 30 employees. They've sold off a division and they've kind of, you know, realigned, but he built a pretty impressive thing. And so that was actually always my like future. You know, I was in, you know, it's like you're going to the financial industry. Your dad's got a company. So at 19, I'm like, dad, okay, like, let's go. want to get started. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't want to wait until I'm done university. I wasn't a huge school guy. I'm like, I'm just here to kind of play football, get a degree is good, but I always knew I'd be my own person anyway. So I didn't necessarily felt my degree was a means to an end, if you will. Um, so I told him I want to get started. He's like, well, you're 19, you have no financial designations. No one's going to trust you or even really want you in the meeting because like, what the fuck's this 19 year old doing? And my meeting where we're talking about, you know, my family's finances kind of thing. So he's like, come when you graduate. I'm like, okay, sure. And then about a month or two later, Brian, uh, one of the co-founders, one who's been one of my best friends, I was 13 years old, also comes from an Eastern European immigrant family. So we kind of really got along. He's like, listen. You've been friends since like early, like 13 years school? old, yeah. uh, just okay. after elementary school. Okay. So middle school, I was grade eight, he was grade nine when we were just kind of, you know, young idiots, uh, hanging out in the park with the boys kind of thing, you know, <laughs> rambunctious suburbians. Um, and so he said, yeah, I started this thing with, with Alex, another buddy of ours. Here's what we're doing. We think video production is going to be big. This was maybe two months after they found it. He's like, you want to, want to come on board? I'm like, hundred percent. Like, what do I have to lose at this point? I'm in school and playing football. Like we always thought if nothing else, after four years of this, when we graduate, we're going to have a way better experience than any of our counterparts at school. And we'll, we'll out interview any of them because we've actually had this real life experience. Was he at Ottawa as well? He was at Ottawa. Yeah. Okay. He was taking economics. So you're so. both full-time school. Yeah. You're also playing full-time varsity Which was athletics. Very, yeah. Yeah. As you know, it's like 40 hours a week. The super, super commitment. Huge. And like at, at, for a while there, Waterbridge was like a, in Brian's mom's basement. And it was like an eight at night to two in the morning kind of thing. And so then when I graduated, let me just ask you, yeah, that. Shoot. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that your university career was similar to mine, except that you graduated. And I did not. <laughs> Finally, I was pushed to do it. Where, yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of time playing basketball in the first couple of years. Yeah. 
very little time in school. So I'd say 40 hours is close to what I spent. Where'd you go to school again? I went to the States for a year. Cool. University of North Dakota. Sick. Good for you. It was interesting. I know that school. That's a prominent school. I got a few. Uh, it's big because of hockey. Yeah. It's a big hockey school. Yeah. They're like final one of the, ice. Final. Frozen final, Four. Frozen Four. Yeah. 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 So they're like, when I was there, TJ Oshie was there. Like no they have some big. Way. Yeah. They were one of the top four teams in the country. When I was and, there. and at that time, that must have been, I mean, fuck rare as shit for Canadian, especially a white boy to, to go to go play in the States. That's yeah, must have a, been pretty impressive. I had a few offers and the reason that I chose North Dakota is because they were in the process of moving from Div 2 into Div 1. Okay. So and it was like a great transition. Childhood dream for me to play Division 1 basketball. Yeah. Man, that's so cool. And I didn't have any Div 1 offers so that was this was my option. Yeah. It was an interesting experience. It was like it was so much fun. I learned a ton. Grew up a ton in that one year. But How was North Dakota? Like Cold. Really? Eh? <laughs> boring like how do you go from, don't know where you north go from dc to yeah. north dakota like, like three shit. hours south of winnipeg oh i had to lay over in winnipeg not a fun place there was a three-week stretch in the winter i was there that the temperature did not go above minus 40 three weeks three weeks straight I thought ottawa was cold with the wind chill there was one day that was minus 53 <laughs> that's like deadly how do you go outside you I can't. don't know. You yeah, she can't. So you just stopped going to class. Anyway, what I was talking about was uh, um, <laughs> not spending much time in class. <laughs> Man. I just, I, I didn't uh, get much out of it. Like, I felt like I was there to just resuscitate what was in front of me. Read this slideshow, yeah. fill out this Scantron. I don't know yeah. if it, Scantron was, oh, was yeah. big for you guys at the time, but for us it was. And it was just like, I'm in communications too, right? And yeah. I own a marketing company while I'm taking this communications. And I'm like, what? is going on here like this is such non-useful information yeah. like not to say university is not useful i learned a lot etc 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 but i'm not sure it's as useful for certain things as it maybe is sometimes perceived to be yeah i just learned for me that it wasn't going to be the path that was where I, that was going to take me to where i wanted to go and when did you realize that early high school really yeah and then so you had your your first year in north dakota and then what I realized I wasn't going to play in the NBA <laughs> and I had some friends and a relative actually that had played overseas in Europe yeah. and it, they had all said the same thing. It was a cool experience, but you come back at like age 28 or and 30 you gotta start from scratch and you're starting from scratch. And that didn't sound that appealing to me, even though I could play basketball for a few more years, Yeah, making like decent pretty money, decent money. Yep. and you come back with some savings, yep. but you're just starting from scratch. Yeah, you no don't have network. any network. You, yeah, exactly. No major knowledge, no experience. Exactly. Cool story, but yeah. tough to leverage. And so I just, I figured I, I would rather start spending more time working and building a career than spending all my time playing basketball. So did you go straight to real anything. estate from, from North Dakota? Nope. That's a great story, actually. <laughs> I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> so I moved back after year one. And with the CIS, you can't play right away. Transfer. No, you have to take that transfer. So I had to take a year is, off. Which is ridiculous. I get it if you're going from, uh, I was going to say CIS, but it's now U Sports, from a U Sport team to another U Sport team. Okay. Fine. If a Canadian kid is coming back from the States to come home and play, I don't think that I don't rule should either. apply. It doesn't make sense. So I took a year off school. Cause How was that? Shit, reason, that must have been. 
the reason for going to school is not to go to school. Yeah, for yeah, me. exactly. Like, <laughs> just to play basketball. Shit. I could play basketball. If I took a year off, I, I don't know if I ever would have gone back. It was uh, Sorry, it was good though. <laughs> I, I learned a ton in that year. I started. So my dad ran sports bars and liquor stores throughout Greater Vancouver. Cool. So I started working at one bartending. Knew not literally day one. I don't know, Carl, if you know the story. Literally day one bartending. Didn't know a damn. Literally, and that's nothing. typically like the most experienced position in exactly. a bar, right? You kind of got to work up to that. I didn't even drink through like high school. Yeah. I started drinking in North at North Dakota, of okay. course, because it. I was told was the number two binge drinking yeah. school in the state. Well, and I, I guess so every bad. other everyone else starts drinking at that point because in the states it's different, right? At twenty one years old, I don't know if they drink as heavily. Like, well, and it's all house parties because no one in university can go to a bar ever. Yeah, which is arguably better, in my opinion, for you know, the a good university house party. experience. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Always better for sure, <laughs> definitely. So I come back and start bartending. I remember one of the first drinks that I. Someone asked me to make, and my first shift was a Bombay tonic. And now, being the experienced borderline alcoholic <laughs> that I am, <laughs> I know what Bombay is, yeah. but I had no clue. That's I'm hilarious. Like, uh, tonic, I know yeah. what that is. Bombay? Man. I like look at them. They're like they pointed the bar. They're like it's the blue bottle behind. <laughs> okay, like, right, I can do that. <laughs> I just found out last week. Stupid, but like tonic water, soda water carbonated water uh um there's like a thousand different kinds of waters like i just like still water and i'm going to a party and like someone's like can you get tonic water i got soda water and they're like this isn't the same thing i'm like well what the fuck is it i can see why it would be confusing as a as a youngster first time bartender i learned and actually really enjoyed bartending so i (laughs) bartended full-time for a year went back to school good for you I enjoyed that I was finally making money. And so quite wanted, a bit of it, I imagine, as a bartender, right? Decent amount? Yes and no. Like, yeah. I wasn't working at the best spots in Vancouver. Okay. I was working at, like, little neighborhood pubs. Yeah. <laughs> One of them was great. Um, so I go back. I'm playing at UBC year three out of high school. Oh, okay. So you, you when you went back, you, you went back to the team. Went back to, went to UBC, yeah. played for a year. Cool. And at that point, I was just kind of uninterested in or I had lost the passion the for basketball. Yeah. But I had found this new business world that I was falling in love with. And so I wanted to keep working. So that year I was taking five classes a semester. Holy playing full time so basketball full, full playing time. basketball and working three nights a week. <laughs> so that's the, crazy man. My I think I worked Tuesday Wednesday, Sunday, maybe because we had games on Friday, Saturday. Was four courses when I was playing at a time, sometimes three. It's fucking. It's a lot. People don't get it. They're like, why do these varsity athletes get preferential treatment? It's like not preferential treatment. They get a little slack because they're committing fifty hours a week to the university through this team. Who else is doing that? I know. If you're not an athlete, you're not doing that. Interesting. Yeah. So my life in year three was crazy. Yeah. And then I just decided I didn't want to play basketball anymore. It wasn't going to take me anywhere. Yeah. I would rather work full time and go to school part time than, than play basketball anymore. So that's kind of where it started. Real estate I didn't get into for a few years later. So I were a bartender for five years. Um, What's been good for the network a little bit though. It's starting to come back now. It is. You meet a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but real estate is a, is a weird game where 
people don't trust you until you have a lot of ex- until yeah you have it's like chicken experience. or the egg yeah. type situation now they see you all over they see your social media like oh daddy knows what's up i'm gonna call like him. he's crushing it we yeah. need to use that guy yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> even though i've known you for you know a decade and a half even though i've been facebook messaging yeah. them for four years <laughs> <laughs> that's persistence man i love that i love that so uh anyway my dad just kind of fell into some money trouble lost to the businesses so i kind of like was scrambling yeah took the first job i could get and it was at royal bank of canada yeah worked there for five months it was the most painful five months of my entire life you hated it didn't you it was not me at all um it was the corporate ladder bullshit that was never my game no too much and uh at that point i took a leap and took the real estate course I had bought a condo maybe a few years before with Jamie, who I had been connected with uh, through a mutual friend from high school. Okay, cool. And so I'd reached out to him and said, hey, I'm not enjoying what I'm doing right now. I'm going to get a real estate license. Can I take you out for lunch or something yeah. and pick your brain? And so we went out for breakfast. He, he, He's like, I'm at a point where I'm really busy. I need some help. Do you want to just like follow me around for six months? If we like working together, great. We'll figure it out. If not, at least you get some experience. Yeah. And that was uh, five years ago now. Never look back. He's got a great energy about him. He's an interesting guy. Very much. Very yeah. much. But you can tell why people are drawn to someone like that. For sure. For sure. Great. Great guy Super to partner Super charismatic. With. Extremely hardworking. He's, he's intentional too. Yeah. Like you, obviously, you know, we've worked together on the marketing side and, and done, done some really cool video work, but you can tell like with his thought process, he's intentional. Like he's not just shooting in the dark, which a lot of people do. He's super creative. Yeah. And it, so it shows. Like, he's one of those guys that literally has a million ideas every minute of every day. Yeah. He's probably got a journal of like 10,000 totally. ideas tucked away. So, yeah. <laughs> and he's just been like, Lucky with the random ideas they picked. So yeah. they've worked out like Stan Oak. Yeah. Yeah, it's worked out really well. Our, our video, you guys you guys came with the heat on that concept. I remember that took like... Let's talk about that. That took like three or four meetings to con- con- conceptualize. Beer storm. Yes. Right? Beer always makes things easier though. It really does. <laughs> it really does. But Speaking what a of, fun shoot that was. Okay, let's, let's get into that because I yeah. think that's a good story that I haven't really shared yeah. on the podcast. Uh so right now we're drinking a beer called the Terry. This is the Terry? This is the Terry. I like it. It's, uh, and this is written on the can. I'm not making this up. I wish I could come up with this creatively. <laughs> a dark, mild ale brewed with cocoa nibs and fresh orange peel. <laughs> so as soon as I, I, I read this, I immediately, I immediately thought chocolate orange. Like those things that are popular around Christmas. And yeah. it literally tastes like that. It does. It's not as but sweet. Like better because I don't even like those. This, is, this a, is nice. This is a beer that's a super like different change. Who comes up with but that? I couldn't drink more than one of them, I think. No. No. Maybe two. It's a little sweet. Yeah. But it's like super unique. I've never had anything like it. Is that Jordan who comes up with that creative uh, copy? Yeah. Jamie at Steel and Oak is known as the... Uh, <laughs> Hat designer. <laughs> he designs the hat. Let me fucking say though, those no, are Jordan some runs the sick show. hats. I will say, I like, there. I was thoroughly impressed with <laughs> the merchandise. Like that could be, it could almost be a, its own merch company for real. Like I don't know how much focus it has or needs, whatever. But when I saw the merch, I was like, holy shit, these guys have really thought it out. You know, and they're not just slapping their logo on a t-shirt. I'll have to show you the new uh, GD merch afterwards. Yeah. Definitely. We got some I good stuff. I think I got a bottle year. opener last time I was here. 
Yeah, oh, I was at the old office. Yeah, we stepped our game up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think Jordan does most, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm disrespecting anyone at Steel and Oak, but I think Jordan does most of the like naming. Yeah. And like, do they design they, these in house? No, they, they have a designer, and she actually took over their Instagram account last week, which was really cool because she did like a bunch of behind the scenes on how she creates the labels and oh, stuff, really? which is really cool for that. me to see. Oh, you know what it was? Instagram just changed their algorithm. They push you down now. Like they want people to hit close friends or follow. So it's like uh, it's like all the other ones, but they're really pushing it down. A lot of I have friends who are influencers and they weren't too happy about it. Must be why I haven't seen it because I typically see all of their shit, and they have a really good social influencers that Instagram is fucking free. I know. It's crazy, man. Don't complain about it. It's free. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. But man, some of these people make crazy money on Instagram. Like, mm-hmm. it's fucking insane. Like, I have a couple. One buddy I played football with. Um, he's got like two million YouTube subscribers now. Two hundred fifty k Instagram followers, and he maybe posts on Instagram once every two, two, three weeks. Not much on Insta, but that's quite it. a bit on YouTube. Quite a bit content. Quite a bit. You know how he created that following? Yes. One of his good friends, like one of his boys, boys, I like grew up with this guy. Um, so a super talented family, actually. The dad's like a, one of the best orthopedic surgeons in Ontario. Like he's known as the knee guy. So if any of us tore our knee, he's the guy you would go see to fix it. He has two sons. One I played ball with who's like this crazy talented musician and got this like Lenny Kravitz thing going. He also has, I think, 750,000 on on YouTube. But the eldest, I think it's the eldest son. One of his sons um, created this YouTube following. He's got like eight or nine million now. And he was fucking so smart because what he did is he put everyone on. His friends, his brother, his family, even his, his parents have one. It's like two or 300,000 last time I checked. And so what he did is he puts this guy in his video. He's like, follow him below. And then, and then Dustin starts doing his shit. And now, you know, here he is at, you know, 1.8 or 2 million YouTube subscribers. And like living life off that. One day, Carl. One day. Yeah. Top 100, right, Carl? Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> Great goal, by the way. How many listens per episode do you think we need to get to top 100? That's a big number. That is a big number. But it's very doable. Like, is it a million? It's a million? A million per episode? A million downloads an episode? Okay. Yeah, that's got to be top 50, I would imagine, even. Interesting. You guys will get there, man. Well, your consistency is fucking impressive. This is a lot of work. People don't realize that. This is a lot of work. It's not work at all. It's, <laughs> it's so fun. It's work for Carl. <laughs> Facts. I just get to talk to like interesting people. But you set this up and set this down every time, right? That takes easy, like, you know, we're in production. I know this takes time. Set it up perfectly, frame it, do all that. It's like, and two a week. Shit. Good for you guys, man. The goal is 100 this year, but I think we're going to do close to 150, honestly. We must. With the behind the scenes stuff, because like, we'll do real estate vlogs and stuff like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll tape them all. Yeah. And we'll use those for the podcast just because they're like interesting behind the scenes. It's me and Jamie. Like screwing up on camera, so yeah. we're cutting and being like, "Okay, fuck you!" Like you need to say that. You know, but, it's, but just, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Equally, it's even more interesting because of how successful you guys are. Like a top one percenter, you kind of get to see the the secret sauce a little bit, the mm-hmm. behind the scenes, and like these people are just fucking real people. Like you guys are just oh, a couple of the boys, you know. Like it's, it's very relatable, I find, and it's 
it's almost a world where people are scared to to show themselves a little bit too much you know the vulnerability of it but that's how you're relatable like people like i would never do anything that alters who i am and so i feel like real estate is a good fit for me because i can be exactly who i am and some people love it and some people hate it, but it is what it is. And that's the way I want to run. Fuck, fuck the haters, right? It's authentic. And like, I've spoken to realtors out, out here in Vancouver as we've grown over the last two years. And like, everyone knows you guys for better or worse, <laughs> but like, you know, everyone knows you. That means you guys are who you are. You're authentic and, and you're owning it, which I genuinely think makes a big difference. I agree. Yeah. Self-awareness. Exactly. Rare. All right. Beer number three, A-side. This is a hazy IPA. Ooh. These are my, the podcast listeners know, this is, these are my favorite beer. I fucking love these beers right now. They're oh, like, that's nice. They're citrusy, what is yet that? hoppy. Is that, yet. That's not the Terry, is it? A-side. 6.5%. Yeah. Holy shit. But it tastes like juice. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, if you asked me to guess, I would have said 4%. Like, it's not a 3.5-er, definitely a little bit stronger, but 6.5, like, three, four of these. And the Hazy's not big in Ontario. They're getting there. They're this getting is there. Like, these are the most, like, popular beers right now, these Hazy IPAs. Yeah, they are, eh? They're, they're, they're trending. Because I remember as a kid, you know, we were just young and stupid, but, like, <laughs> like how strong of a beer can we get? And there was a beer called Steelback. Did you guys ever have that out here? <laughs> I don't think so. It was, like, one of the first, like, you know, it was, like, an aluminum bottle. It was Steelback. Oh, fuck. I, it was Brian and I who got this. He convinced me to get this. He's like, oh, look, it's so strong. It was over 10%. It was disgusting. I later found out, I think it was one of the Dragons companies or something. Like, <laughs> I found out there was some kind of weird connection to it many years later. I'm like, I will never have that shit beer again. But, you know, we grew up on like Lakeboard Honey. I don't know if you guys have that out here. That was a buck of beer for us back then. Yeah, a little aggressive. A little aggressive. I think my life's too short to drink shitty beer. There's no point. And I, you know what's crazy is, again, I was mentioning I'm not, like, I am would be more of a casual wine guy than a casual beer guy. Like, if I'm going to have one, I'll typically do wine. But what that's made me is, like, a beer snob. Like, I actually can't mm. drink a Canadian. I think it's trash. I can't drink Coors Light. I think it's, it's absolute trash. I, it, honestly, it tastes like piss. I, I will say no, but if you came with... Six these different ones? Yeah, I'll have one for sure. I saw someone. Uh, he was a friend. He's now an acquaintance. <laughs> order a Coors Light. Step down. <laughs> a Coors Light. I verbally abuse him for 30 minutes. Of, of course. No wonder he's just an acquaintance. You're saving a dollar to drink cat piss? Or you it's can drink literal this, cat piss, like, Nectar of the gods. This is delicious. They are Amazing, right? killing it, man. Okay, let's talk about how we, how we met. Yeah. I don't even know how we met. You know who, who it was? I was actually thinking about this the other day. Nicole Parmar. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Amazing woman. Incredibly Nicole intelligent. An absolute online genius. She's like, a, she's like a Yoda. She has some crazy credentials. Like I was just blown away. Spent I honestly time don't know Google. why she's working with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. The personality, man. She could but probably work with anyone she wants. She has like, some huge accounts though. Massive, massive. And like, she's just so incredibly intelligent and so wise as to how it's done. We met her. I think it was actually my friend from Visual Capitalist. Someone introduced us to her. Okay. We got along great. And we basically said, and that's basically been how I built the network out here over the last two years is like, meet people, get to know them, I don't sell them shit. 
and I say, who do you know that's like a good person that I should get to know or entrepreneurial, executive, whatever, and build it that way. And typically second or third meeting, a sale will come with us. You know, we met a couple times and then that third time is when we had the really good meeting. And yeah, we narrowed it down a little bit, but um, we knew right away going in with you guys, like these guys are fucking creative, which is rare in real estate. Jamie's creative. You are too. In our... Uh, he may be the more creative one creativity is a confidence thing I actually read a book called creative confidence it's like everyone's creative it's just about being confident in it and willing to shoot your shots right and um, I remember the vibe was just fucking awesome and we come from a real estate background like we own Ottawa's largest real estate uh, media provider different company hmm. bookmylisting.com um so we know realtors intimately we have so like 200 company, you do like photos, photos video for... aerial 3d okay. anything you can think of to market your listing we originally about five years ago acquired a photographer a real estate photography company brought him on as a partner one of the best things the company ever did was bring this guy on as a partner he's a fucking stud really really good with details which is not my i'm a high level vision guy relationships guy details and and nuts and bolts that's where he comes in and anyways we acquired that we quickly grew to be the fastest and then about a year ago we merged with the second or third biggest one um to kind of spin it off and focus a little bit more on the creative work which is what we do with you guys but it's proven advantageous because we get it we get the real estate industry but kudos to you guys is like super fucking creative super creative rare it was really fun like i remember those first couple meetings and Jamie and I had talked about it going in, but he can't, he had a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas. And so he's just like throwing things at you and I could see your guys faces and you're just like, okay, this is a lot of shit. It was like a tornado of ideas. (laughs) Like I had never experienced because typically you go into a meeting and video is new, right? So they're looking at you to tell them some ideas, right? And it's that fine balance. You don't want to give too much of your intellectual creativity without, you know, signing on the dotted line kind of thing. But Jamie had like, I've never seen so many ideas. And, and honestly, <laughs> Brian, Darren, and I still talk about how that was one of our largest accomplishments of a project for, for two reasons. One, because we were able to synthesize what was like <laughs> a fucking, <laughs> an incredible amount of creative ideas into something that you guys felt engaged and powerful about, which was most important because as you guys were the the lead actors in the, in the, uh, in the piece. And without that engagement, we wouldn't have gotten as successful as we did. And so we still talk about that as like, wow, that was one of the best synthesizing jobs we've ever done to take a client's ideas, which as you know, Jamie was a ton and synthesize them into something that they would go full steam on. And I wasn't there on the shoot, but I know it was a two or three day shoot. If I'm not mistaken. I, I was told by Brian, I wasn't allowed to say how short the shoot was. Yeah. Because other clients of yours <laughs> would assume that that's normal. <laughs> well, I remember <laughs> one, one of them. It was two days. It was two days, eh? One of the shots, the, the breakfast scene, the guys told me it took like two hours to frame that shot, which we'd never, ever in our seven and a half years prior ever spent that much time framing a single shot. Two hours. But it showed. You know, we worked really hard on that storyboard. We got approved, worked really, really closely with you guys. The script, remember we went a couple times back and forth. Yeah. Got that amazing narrator who just kills it. <laughs> Everyone might know who he is. Check out that video. <laughs> um, and the success. Like, I, I so you guys posted it and 
we shared it to Waterbridge and I, I do the whole thing. I manage a couple of social accounts. So you'll maybe see on your Insta, on your Facebook, like if a ton of likes come in all at once, it's typically me. And I'll just, <laughs> I'll just change the account, like change, like change, like toss in a love, toss in a little haha, whatever. Cause I got like six or seven accounts. So I shared it, but that week it was legit that week that Facebook stopped allowing you to promote shared posts. So what we were actually going to do is we had three, 400 bucks that we were going to put behind the post because we're really proud of it. We want to share it and then promote it for you guys as part of an added value, but it also makes us look good the more you guys get out there. And then like, you know, I posted it, they, they didn't allow us to boost it kind of frustrated. And like a month later I pulled it up on YouTube and there's like fucking 200,000 views. How? I, to this day, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure. Maybe don't, you know, we can talk off, uh, off podcast. You can tell me the secret sauce, but like, I think it was at 206,000 last time I saw it. That's about right. I don't know either. Amazing. It and means it was, we put a little bit of money behind yeah. it in terms of marketing it on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you put money on YouTube? I know you put money on Facebook. Bit. Okay. Not like not a ton, but well, not 200,000 views worth. You can't, I, I don't think so. Um, and we looked at it after like a week or two yeah. and it was at like 30 or 40,000 and we were like, Oh, that's, you know, not as exciting as we would have liked it to get to. Of course. Which and is still we, pretty good on we YouTube. we looked at it like a month later and it was over 200. Like, Oh, what, ha- what happened? It's crazy, man. <laughs> but sweet. Yeah. It's still one of our proudest pieces. Like I, excuse me. I love that piece. I share it all the time. Legit all the time. It's still haven't good. even used the, uh. We called it a blooper reel. It was more like a behind the scenes yeah. like clip that we... It's funny. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I remember that one. We'll share it this spring, I think. One of the favorite scenes is when you have that plant in your face. That one killed <laughs> me, man. That one just... I just laughed. Because I, I didn't see any of this live, right? I saw the storyboard, but then I saw like the first draft, maybe a draft or two before you see it. We go through a couple internal ones and then we send it to the client. But um, I saw that scene and I actually laughed out loud. I found it funny and it's so authentic. I think it's so you guys. Darren came up with that and that was a really good idea. Yeah. And watching it back, like I laugh at it Yeah. because I can remember how many times we, and it wasn't a ton. It was maybe like 10 or 12 that we took that little clip. Yeah. And every single time he's like, no, no, too hard. You're hitting the plant too hard. <laughs> he's awesome. And, like he's, that man. He's, he's such a good director. Like he's such a personable, creative fucking dude. And that's why we went with him. He's so creative, so creative. He's a likable guy too. Very likable. Very, very likable. I mean, you know, that's how, that's actually how Vancouver Waterbridge West started. We, Clio, which was a, a tech company out of, fuck, I think it's Burnaby or it's Surrey. It's Burnaby or Surrey for sure. Okay. Uh, they're illegal tech software. They have about maybe 300 people. Darren was the brand manager there. He hired us because they were doing stories across Canada for lawyers who lose their platform. He hired us in Ottawa. The video we made with him ended up getting over 3 million views. It is by far their highest. And they've invested, this was two or three years ago. They've invested, th- th- no, this was three or four years ago. And they've invested multiple rounds of video after with local local producers, whatever. We kind of got, when we poached Darren, we were kind of on the bad list after that. But worth it. Anyways, to this day, the, the largest views. And then um, I was out here and, you know, I said, why don't we go for a pint? And it was a Tuesday. I know for sure it was a Tuesday because it was like an odd day to go for a drink, but whatever. People love to drink out here. It's crazy. Tonight's a Tuesday. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good point. Great night to drink. And uh, yeah, so the one beer turned into like 10. And we're like, I don't drink often. When I drink, I, I drink, but I don't drink often. 
And so we were like certified shit face at this point. This was local <laughs> kits Lando in kits at the local. Yeah. And we're just like 10 pints deep. And he's like, oh, fucking done with Clio. It's got all his VC money. It's totally changed. He was there when it was a smaller company. It's now multi hundred people. So I kind of want to do my own thing. You know, I'm thinking of going on my own. And it's just like, oh, why don't we start Waterbridge West? Knowing that video production's huge out here. There's a lot of synergies, et cetera. He loved it right away. And obviously we're drunk. So I like pumped the brakes a second. Woke up the next day. I'm like, this is still a good idea. <clears throat> <laughs> Went back and pitched it to to my partners in Ottawa and huge risk, right? Because like we're, we're funding with Darren's got a network, but essentially no network out in Ottawa. Our network was built in and I've been nurturing that for nine, 10 years. And, you know, Brian has as well. So it's there. We're known. Here was from scratch. Um, so it was difficult. It certainly was like we... I thought it would go quicker than it did. We're about 18 months in now. I thought maybe in the first year it would go a little bit quicker. But now the stride we're hitting is fucking crazy. Like we will do probably half the projects out here and yield the same revenue. Really? Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about because yeah. real estate is very different. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that attracted me to real estate was no inventory, <clears throat> very low overhead to get in. Work from home. And zero funding. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was early on or starting a new branch in, in Vancouver. Yeah. How do you go about funding? <sighs> Tricky question. So if, building Especially water, when you don't have a network out here. Well, exactly. Right. So building Waterbridge, um, we bootstrapped the entire thing. We didn't take any money to start. We put like for years, I'm talking years, I took like uh, us as leaders took less than 10 grand, everything went back into the company because we're young. We're like, my biggest thing, short-term sacrifice, long-term gain. 100%. I, I couldn't give a fuck less about where I am today. I, I'm happy with where I am today. Have I reached a success that I know I will? No, but I know it's all part of the process. I know the sacrifice, the, the, you know, the, the craft dinner, the ramen noodles, the shit that, you know, I'm still partaking in, in a lot of ways is part of the journey. It's part of the process. Um, so they loved it. And, you know, we agreed, we agreed on a salary, which obviously out here, cost of living is a little bit different. Like give you an idea there, we could get for 500 K we could probably get a four bedroom detached home, backyard, lawn, two car garage. This is in Ottawa. Yeah. <clears throat> so no 500k gets you here a shoebox downtown nothing vancouver <laughs> nothing nothing at all east van small one bedroom new west where we work a lot yeah uh a really nice new one bedroom or like a really small two bedroom in a 1970s building that hasn't been renovated it's it's fucking crazy because right. like my my one of my best friends, like one of my closest friends since he since I was twelve, he's a couple of years younger than me. He moved out to Wisp a couple of years ago. Him and his girl live out mm -hmm. there. She's also a good friend. She's a lawyer for a firm out there at in Squamish, and um, they have a place, and it is maybe seven hundred square feet, subdivided into two. So we're talking like 350, 400 square feet per unit. They cut per, condos into two? Not even. I guess like it was an old, it was zoned commercially. It may have been a hotel before. So actually their apartment has that perfect splitting door, hotel door. Weird. 
guess how much they yielded. Sorry, Nick and Curse, but guess how much they yielded last year from the one side. They lived in one. Guess how much the other side yielded them. In rent? Yeah, Airbnb rent. 40 to 50 grand? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 46K. I was going to say 4K a month. And in the last two years, their equity went up 200 grand. I think they're, they're the 800 square feet's worth just under 800K. Also, news, <laughs> news update for BC residents. They just came out with a speculation tax. Have you, have you heard that? So anything in the specified areas, which is like Greater Vancouver, Kelowna, some parts of the island. All goes, the way out to Kelowna. They circle off areas that have been busy yeah. in the last couple of years, basically. The NDP is fucked up. Let's not even get started on that. That's a, yeah. that's a whole new podcast. <laughs> Still, I'm fine. We're locked in Ontario right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Whistler is not in this. Th- so speculation tax. If a home is vacant or not rented out at least six months a year, you pay a 0.5% tax. Of the home value? Of the home value, assessed value. That's insane. Whistler is not included in that. So I see Whistler values going up because of vacation properties that people can now buy. So that's actually what we were talking about. Or Airbnb or whatever. Because one of the speculations or one of the stipulations, I should say, is that if you're renting out a home, that's fine. It has to be rented at least six months a year, but it has to be rented in at least one month terms. So Airbnbs won't qualify for this. Speculation tax, which is on a so fucking stupid because it's, bro, it's only going to last like two years until the NDP's out. Well, it, it's exactly yeah. it. like you know it's me. Ridiculous. I'm here. I'm here minimum every three months for like yeah. eight to fourteen days. Typically, and you probably use Airbnb all the time. Yeah. And what I actually found out is they're they're obviously cracking down on Airbnb quite a bit, but the city has a thirty percent shortage in hotel rooms. So what the fuck is tourism going to do? And for me, I'm here for a week. I'm not paying $300 a night to stay in this with no kitchen, no privacy, no balcony, no nothing. Not worth it. But it's crazy, crazy. Like they're thinking this same couple, the same couple, they're like, you know, it's hard to raise a family in Whistler unless you want your kid to be like, you know, a semi-hippie kind of, it's, it's very different, let's say, right? It's not necessarily the snowboarder quintessential. Not Long that it's hair, wrong. Always wear a tube. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not that it's wrong. For anyone who loves that, I'll power to them. But for some people, it can be difficult to raise a family there. All so, your friends are Australian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're only here for two months or three months, you know, kind of transient yeah. place. Um, and they're thinking like, you know, do we sell this and move to Squamish? Don't fucking sell it. Hold on to it. And what she said, and she's a lawyer, she said the biggest, there's two risks. A, they rezone the place. They're fucked if they get rezoned out of nightly rentals because they're so screwed. And B, um, when the economy does take its next dip, whenever that is, some people say this here, other people say it's a, a far away, whatever. The first thing to get hit is resort towns, right? It's no one's going to a resort when the economy is terrible. They don't want to. So they're debating this. And I'm saying, fuck, if anything, find an investor, buy half of it from you. Use that half to go buy your place in Squamish or Ontario or wherever you want and own half the place. Because in, in 10 years, what's this going to be worth? It's at the bottom of the hill. It's like if you, you know where Southside Grill is, it's like I'd... two seconds from there. Yeah. Like two seconds. Like you can almost hit it with a really good throw. It's crazy, crazy. And it went up 180K in the last two years. That's the thing about real estate. You just I should give them my phone number. I'd like to chat with them. Yeah. 
I will. One, because I'd like to buy their unit. No, <laughs> <laughs> if I have anything to do with it, I, they won't sell all of it. I keep saying, like, I actually, like, I have friends who are doing, let's say, very, very well for themselves. And, the like, problem in real estate is everyone, let's say 95% of people, think super short term. Think, oh, no, what if this market crashes and it goes down 20% tomorrow? Who cares? Sweet. Don't sell it. Buy more. Exactly. <laughs> right? Because at the end of the day, a place like Worcester may be the first to get hit, but we'll always bounce back. 100%. We'll always, like always Vancouver. That's exactly it. Like you can't. We saw a 20% hit in the last six months. Which is crazy. crazy. That, I mean, that must have affected your business tremendously. The, the, the 2018 forecasting. sales were down a lot yeah. overall in Greater Vancouver. So volume's different out here, right? What do you mean? Like, what's your volume, if you don't mind? Just rough. Like, no, you like don't have to put numbers. numbers? Yeah, yeah. Like, how many homes would you sell in a year? Or, sorry, let's put it this way. How many homes, to avoid putting your numbers out there, but how many uh, homes would the top realtors sell, volume-wise? I don't know the top sell. Anyway, we sold 163 properties in 2017. Wow. Sold 120 last year. Okay, so that's quite a big drop. But that's, as I understand, still quite a bit out here. Like, we have... So that, that puts us in... To be in an individual top 1% in Greater Vancouver, yeah, you need to sell about 50. Oh, wow. To be top 1% in terms of teams, you need to sell about 120. And how many realtors are on your team? Uh, last year, we had three. This year, well, we, we acquired realtors throughout the year. Yeah. Um, this year, we now have six. Nice. Congrats. Yeah, it's, it's very different in Ottawa. Like... The good teams fucking dominate. Like a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Paul Rushforth, he owns uh, he owns a broker. He did it the smart way. He's a former pro hockey player, but he opened his own brokerage. Instead of doing a team, he opened a brokerage and built his team out that way with his brand. It's a lot of uh, secretariat work with that. A well, ton? Like we've obviously thought about that We're, stuff. I think a company of 40, yeah. all in, they sold eight or 900 homes last year. With 40? Uh, no, that's, I think their staff of 40 is like all staff. They have like researchers on staff. They have admin, they have like every part of the sure. process is covered by someone. Um, and they're super huge in the community, like major, major, major givers. But like there are a couple teams that are clients, like two, three, 400 listings, you know, very successful, but it's different. I hear out here it's. Less volume, and I hear the commission is less. That's what a realtor is telling me, which is... What I've heard in Ontario is flat 5%. Yeah, but I think they split it, and I shouldn't know this, it's but I think buyer yeah, and seller. Buy and seller, two and a half but that each. means two and a half each. Yeah. Whereas most, or I'd say like 90-ish percent of realtors charge some variation of 7% on the first 100,000. Okay. And two and a half to 3% on the balance. And you have to split that and both that's ways. Split between oh, buyer and seller. Holy shit. It's quite a bit. It's, it's a when huge When you're selling difference. a million or $2 million home, that's a, a big gap. Yeah. But right it's now, it's like, like a, a seller's market in Ottawa. Like Still. Big time. Big time. Like, man, our, our one of our big clients, these guys here, they do a couple hundred homes. They sold a home in the Glebe, which would be the equivalent of like... Kind of like kids or it's like our center town. It's close to where the CFL team plays. Old Victorian style homes. This one was renoed. They sold in five days, one point four mil, a hundred k over asking, and that's like a that's like one point four, 
not a huge amount, but that's like the that's goals. That's where I want my house eventually. If I didn't want space, it's in it's 2017. <laughs> these are our numbers. So we sold 163 homes. <laughs> the average sale price was eight percent over the list price, and the average home sold in nine nine days. So that's actually you guys taught us that you guys taught us that um that's what blew me away because when when i came to vancouver for the first time on a business standpoint i thought i knew a lot about the real estate industry and i do from an ontario ottawa perspective sure but when you told me it was i remembered seven at the time but you i would definitely relate to, to what you're saying at nine but when you told me nine at the time it was 39 in ottawa and it was you or Jamie who said... But that's a normal... Like, a normal market for Greater Vancouver is like 20 to 30 days okay. in market. Because it was you or Jamie who told us, you said, here's the deal. Here in Vancouver, it's not the listings competing against each other, which is very, um, very Ottawa-like. People invest a lot into marketing and listing because it's listing to listing. Here, the listing's going to sell regardless. You could take photos with your iPhone and it may sell not nine days, maybe 14 or 15, but the the home is going. And so what you guys do, and that's why I guess you hired us and we worked together, was to market against other teams, to show that you're the team not to work with. It doesn't matter what houses you have in your inventory. It's who do you want to work with. In Ottawa, it's very different. Very different. Not many realtors have invest. In yeah, it's what you have in your inventory. Obviously, your your community presence is big, but they don't. Some of the biggest realtors don't invest half of what some realtors do here in their marketing. And Ottawa is very conservative. Like if you do like a print mail out campaign and you send fifty thousand out, no way of tracking, no nothing. People tell you great job, marketer of the year. No joke. It's crazy. <laughs> It's like, what standard have we set? I think it's because we're very much a government town. There's a lot of like complacency in certain ways, but like it's very different, very, very different than out here, which is why I love coming out here. The energy is fucking awesome, man. Like I have more meetings after five o'clock out here in one week's time than I do in a quarter in Ottawa. <laughs> no, no joke. In Ottawa, it's like, you want to get to, you, let's have a meeting. Okay, great. I'll come by the office for a 10 a.m. coffee. Here, legit, maybe four out of 10 times I say, you want to do coffee in the morning? They say, well, how about happy hour? <laughs> no joke. It's a very different mentality out here. It's like, and I like it because it allows you to get to know people. You know, like, I think it was like 11 o'clock when we had our first beer storm. So not the five o'clock time, <laughs> but like, it was not coffee. It like was but not you have to coffee. My partner owns a brewery. So Fair. the 11 o'clock beer is not as strange for us as it is for most people in but the working environment. So worth it. Because I'm coming every time from like Kits or Mount Pleasant, right? So this is like a bit of a hike for me. It's worth it every time. I feel like we're at Steel and Oak right now. Fuck. Okay, what's well, speaking of Steel Oak, what's our next beer? What is we, our next beer? So we have another hazy, which is pretty similar to what we just drank. So maybe So this is different. Oh yeah, okay. It's a different beer, difference. but it's it's similar. We have a Weisenbach, which is a strong wheat ale. And we have a an anvil, which is a well, defined by Steel and Oak as an extra strong stout. Jordan is a wordsmith, eh? <laughs> He, honestly, he's, I only met him very, like, very oh, that's briefly. Strong. Yeah. And it's stout. Sold. Very <laughs> creative guy, though. I met him for like two seconds and like he had a good vibe. But dealer's choice. 
Do you like stouts? I can get down. Do you like wheat beers? Yeah. Let's go wheat beer. Oh, honestly, I'll try anything once. Like I'm pretty, pretty open guy like that. Let's go wheat beer. Not anything, but a lot of things. <laughs> Let me correct myself there. Not anything once, that's for sure. It's eight o'clock. Do we have fifteen minutes? Is it already? Oh shit! Sure, you wrap up. No, like we have fifteen minutes okay. for sure. I we didn't get it into as much as I would like of the media company, but let's. I know. I feel like we're catching up so much, right? Totally. That's okay. It'll we'll do this again. Next time you're back in Vancouver, we'll I have you back. I think so too. Do you want to try this one, Carl? I want it. So, media company starts when you're first year university. Nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. Which is ultra impressive. Thank you. How do you go? <laughs> From a media company yeah, where does the restaurant industry come into? Okay, so that's actually crazy. And like, you know, I'm a big mentor guy. So when I was 19 and my dad was very connected, so I had privilege, like doors were open. Just, I had to walk through them and make place. But I actually sent, I have a template and I still have it to this day. But it's the same email to almost everyone. A little bit of, of massaging, but hey, X, it was great to meet you last night as a young entrepreneur, um, you know, still in my teenage years. Learning from someone like you is incredibly invaluable. Um, would love to take you out for a coffee or lunch on me. I'll accommodate your convenience at any time. And like 9.9 .9 or 10 people said yes. And I figured out so why this over is time. when you were 19? 19. Yeah. Just I, after you got involved in Waterbridge? Yeah, exactly. And I knew like I always want to be learning from people who have done it or are smarter. You had a 99% return rate. 99%, yeah. Yes. Why? I think it was in part because of the people I were asking were... They they weren't random. They were like um, curated. And I'm part of a CEO group that's like, at the time, I was like the youngest by 25 years and the brokest by a couple million. Like it's pretty big players. <laughs> no joke. It's, it's pretty big players in Ottawa. And so at the time, I knew uh, my dad. Okay. So he brought me once. He invited me. And then the the rule is, you know, you someone can bring you, but you have to get invited back by someone else. And I sat next to a guy who owns four or five dealerships and we got along great. And he said, you know, I want to nominate him. And I was the youngest member by like a long time. Now a few young guys are coming in, but so, um, so I always knew that, okay, these guys are pretty successful. So I, I it was curated, but what I ended up figuring out after was like, it's kind of like a Maslow hierarchy of needs thing. Once they've reached a certain level of success, don't really care about making more money. I mean, they do. They always will. That's the game, right? When you're, you're a baller, you're an entrepreneur or whatever. But it was more about legacy and like sending the elevator back down and having a hand in someone else's success. So like I've had mentors for the last 10 years and it's, it's been very, very insightful. I rarely talk to them about Waterbridge, just life. How do you do what you do? What are your challenges? Just like learn all their shit because mm -hmm. like that'll all apply some way or another. Um, and so I did that. And then they all said, you know, never get in the restaurant industry. Like that's a fucking terrible industry. It's one I would also say that dream chaser industries, you know, it's like one of these uh, cool, shiny on the surface shit below the surface. Um, but one of my best friends since I was five years old, like my best friend in the world, uh, Andrews, he's a Sakely in Ottawa. There are a ton of Sakely's like they, when the Lebanon thing was happening, the Sakely was one of the five main families. So there may be over a thousand Sakely's and they're all somehow related to each other. First cousins, second cousins, et cetera. Anyways, his dad owned a couple of very popular restaurants growing up and he was uh, very much in the hospitality industry. About five years ago, they bought three coffee shops and they were running those, but coffee shops can be a bit of a grind. About three years ago, two or three years ago, Andrew, my buddy became a business broker 
great time to be a business broker. There will be more businesses for sale in the next 10 to 15 years than the world has ever seen by far, by far. The largest generational transition of wealth is coming over the next 10 to 20 years that we've never seen. It's going to change a lot of industries. But so he sees a lot of really cool shit come across his desk before it ever hits the market, right? It's like you guys, like when you see a nice property, like if you're going to buy it, why would you let it hit the market? You'll put the offer down right away. So he saw this business and it's called Mongolian Village. Um, and it's essentially like a build your own stir fry place. Very we have, healthy. We have that out here called yeah. Mongolia Grill. Okay, so it's legit same very thing. same concept. Build your own stir fry. Super healthy. Super accommodating. Uh, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. It had been really popular at one point. Like it was doing like 1.7, 1.8 at one point. The issue is the old owners got very complacent for many years. And right outside, they started doing uh, construction on the bus depot, like our public transport. transport. They shut it all down. In three months, the LRT is opening which is our, our SkyTrain. Never had one. It's coming in three months. We're the last stop on the Eastern SkyTrain. Like, we're, I can hit it from the front door. So all of that, circumstantial, we got it kind of on a dime. And he said, listen, I want to do this because it's got a 30% profit margin. That doesn't even make sense in the it's restaurant It's so industry. fucked, man. Our food cost is 18%. And there's never any waste because they pay for it. That's the only reason why I got into it. So what I did, he came to me. He's like, okay, you want in? We fucking rebranded the whole thing. It's, it's, it's very um, synergistic, right? Because we, we, we take it on and then we say, okay, you're going to hire Waterbridge. We'll do your website. We'll do your video. We'll do the whole rebrand. We'll do your guerrilla marketing. We'll set shit up with Yelp. We'll answer all our reviews, do the social media. Um, so everything I get involved with is also a client of Waterbridge. So I can justify my hours in the day while I'm sitting here as an owner of both, but it's paying Waterbridge for my time and I'm getting paid for improving it. So he came to me, he's like, listen, this is what I want to do. It's very, very profitable. I'm a business broker. So I only want to do this for two years and then I want to scale out of it. And, you know, at a 30% profit margin, if we can get to three, 1.3, 1.4, do the math. It's, it's fairly profitable. So, um, he said, I want to do this. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll take out all my cannabis stocks at the time which fucking i think went like six or seven times like funded all my investments last year was cannabis stocks and i'll put it in and then i'll bring my buddy who is a partner in waterbridge silent partner but also an accountant this guy owns multi-businesses and he'll invest and then uh, my buddy from the red blacks and i said and the cfl team and i said listen we're going to bring him in on the same percentage he'll invest but it's the clout that'll come with it because we, we have like a CTV story coming. We have like a Ottawa Sun, Ottawa Citizen, it's all free media because this guy's a Grey Cup champion and now he's owning a local business, right? So kind of tailored in that way. Two years will be fully debt-free. Ideally in four, we'll have location two, three or four and then sell the whole pile of them. That's the goal. Or if it's a cash count, we're all making 40, 50 Gs a year dividends and I'm okay with that too personally. But it's just about creating these streams of income. But again, it's back to like short-term sacrifice, long-term gain. Like I put all of my money into ventures last year. I lived off craft dinner, which is crazy. That isn't crazy, crazy, crazy. I've always been super risky. Like when I was 21, I bought a piece of art for six grand and my parents fucking lit me up. Like, think of this. My dad is an Eastern Euro immigrant. Yeah, he's well off, but like, they lit me up. And I'm like, no, guys, trust me. Like, this is good. This is good. It's like a contemporary artist. Okay. And uh, 
I'm like, no, no, you know, his minimum's 10. He's giving it for me for six. Cause I slowly started to see him come up. And then I, I messaged him. He said 5k. I said, I'm not paying 5k for a fucking piece of art. Fuck that. Message him two years later when he's way more popular. He's like, now my min's 12. I'm like, oh, you told me five. Can you honor that? And he said, yes. So I said, fuck it. I may as well, if his street value's 12, five worst case, you know, I'm left with something not, not so great, but whatever. It's gone up eight times since then. And so now I'm considering, do I sell it? Do I not? This is a down payment on a home, but you know, four or five years from now, it could be, could be more. And now my family's like, oh, I guess that was kind of a good decision, but pure stroke of luck. And that was like my last six grand. Like, it's not like I had six grand and then money to live. It was like six grand, I'm down to zero. And that's what I did all year this year. Like restaurant, quantum co- computing company, and a water company. All of my funds. Back to craft dinner. Crazy. I did that for a year and you've been doing it for 10. It's worth it. And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's worth it. Like these investments are doing really well and gaining a lot of traction, but they're not liquidable. I can't just take them out tomorrow. So it's like this interesting dynamic where like I'm living in like this, you know, I got a lot of successful investments that are like multiplying, like not just once or twice, like five, 10, 20 times. But I'm like, okay craft dinner for dinner tonight kind of thing this is fucking crazy but i'm hoping in like you know 10 years i can just not have a a day job and just make deals so it's fun isn't that the dream eh? really is and that's how the quantum thing came about is like a good friend of mine for five years he founded the company he's a chief investment officer for 50 companies this guy brought in 100 mil from china last year like a baller and uh the 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 co-founder of the quantum company uh randy one of the most brilliant guys i've ever met in my life phd in quantum physics and artificial intelligence immigrant from china he went to my buddy james and he said i have this quantum security processing company that i can quantum secure information and transit he's like i need you to help me take this because james is a money guy like he can raise millions of dollars in weeks easy easy so we went in and James came to, to Brian and I and he's like, listen, I've never invested in a company like this. I've never been willing to run a company like this. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Do you guys want in? And we said, I took everything. I fucking took out a loan to put it in, <laughs> which is so crazy. So crazy. So stupid. <laughs> but it's, but our next raise is two and a half times. So we're going through that right now. So it's a, and I can liquid it if I want, but it's like, it's big shit. And I'm the guy who dropped out of science in grade 10. And I'm now sitting across from this quantum physicist who's like explaining his theory to me, like genuinely explaining his theory to me. And I'm like, how did I end up here? This is the network. Because they saw us, you know, they're like, you invest, but bring people to bring people to the table. And we've brought some, like through my connections, we'll probably raise four or 500 K on the next round through my connections alone of the two mil. And then, and then some pretty big partnerships are, are aligning themselves. Tech can go down any second, but this one is very, very, very interesting. So what I like about it most is the learning. That's what Brian and I talked about is if we lose it all, the best fucking tuition we could have had. Way better than any money I spent in university. Don't even get me started on that right? one. So I feel like our conversation was kind of all over the place, I which was phenomenal. Did we just for me. get started? <laughs> <laughs> but we ended on literally the two of the maybe five things that I'm so passionate about is yep. one networking is king. Meet as many people as possible and always treat people well. Cause yep. you never know when it'll come back to you Yeah, and short term, long term. 
you have like it just doesn't make sense how many people in business are focused on making money tomorrow. I, I don't always gonna lose. I don't need a Rolex today. I don't give a fuck. I don't want a Rolex when I'm 95. Well, there, there you go. I'm kind of a watch guy, but like when I have to spend it myself, that's a different story. <laughs> but so we'll see. Exactly. But what I'm saying is like I don't give a fuck. I'm not gonna be in the club tomorrow. I'm surely not spending two hundred dollars on a bottle. No chance in hell. Um, and and grow the assets, man. It's like grow people. Like wedding, I would never spend forty G's on a wedding. For, for, Anyone who wants to, all the power to them. It's their day. They do whatever they want. But to me, I'm just like, that's a fucking down payment. In Ottawa, that's a down payment on a that's ten percent. Ottawa, yes. That's ten percent on on a detached <laughs> home. Like that's for real. I don't want one day forty G's. I'll buy that and then get someone to rent it out. You know. So it's uh, it's definitely it's it's interesting. It's interesting for sure. I love it. Uh. Last thing, I always ask people to make the final statement and you made two great ones there. So I don't know where you're going to go from here, but it's up to you. Reiterate what you just said. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, my final Talk statement. craft dinner. Fuck. I love that shit. Craft dinner is fantastic. I may have outdone you in that one year, but in 10 years you've crashed. You, you, you probably did. You probably did. For me, um, it's about gratefulness, man. 100%. Like I, I've realized, like I've gone through some, some health shit over the last couple of years and like, it's not the worst. It's, it's, it's annoying. It's cumbersome. It's not the worst thing ever. But what's taught me is like, it can always be worse. Like I have my family, they're healthy. I have my friends, they're healthy. I'm fucking in Vancouver doing business, having beers on a podcast. Like, fuck, I'm lucky. So like all the other little shit that happens, I always remind myself like, it could be worse. Could, could have a terrible disease, could be dying tomorrow, could be working a nine-to-five somewhere. For, for whoever that is, that's fine, but that's not me, right? And I have all these things that I can be grateful for. So about reminding myself about that because, like, I'm sure you get it too. It, it, it sometimes can be hard to live in the moment when you want so much for yourself in the future. You know what I mean? Like, you're like... For me, it's not, though. Really, eh? Because <clears throat> something you just said is, well, the way I think about things is, when something negative happens, I think, what's my alternative? So I think one option is learn from a mistake Turn lessons or, into or learning. a bad We're losing experience. into lessons. Learn. Don't make the same, same mistake again and grow. Or dwell and be miserable and fail. Which never the latter at this point, Ever. right? What's my alternative? That's, that's, that's what I replay so my head is what is my alternative? I'm like right time. along that thought because I think the same way, but sometimes I need to really pause and just kind of appreciate the process. Mm -hmm. Like appreciate the growth because like I've, I've always like, I will achieve the certain level of successes that I've set out for myself. I know I will, but it's like at what pace? And that pace is where you have to get comfortable with is like, you know, trust the process. Trust that your losses are going to turn into lessons. Trust that your your high points will carry you through. Trust that shit, and eventually you'll get it. No one, all these ultra successful people, they all have failures. They don't talk about them. They all have failures. They all have a good team around them. No one really gets rich alone. That's one thing I've noticed. Like especially in Ottawa, I'm building like a good network of friends who are successful in in different fields and bringing them together on things. And the more you do that, like, you know, I look at these people in that group I was talking about, it's like they all do investments together. One of my mentors is going to make fucking on his, on his next deal over a hundred million dollars after tax. <laughs> that not, like those numbers don't even make sense to me. That's like such fuck you money. I've, it's insane. And so it's like, shoot your shot, stay the course, trust the process. 
it will eventually come. I'm not there yet, but I, I'm infinitely confident that, that for people who do that, it always comes. It's like that meme. You ever see that meme where it's like two guys digging for diamonds and one guy's keep going forward and the other guy is given up and turned back, but he only has like an inch left to go before yeah, like yeah, the yeah. jackpot. Yeah. I always think about that in my head. Is like the next corner could be the jackpot. Keep pushing, right? Or the next relationship you build. or Exactly, whatever. exactly, exactly. So like pretty lucky, like, you know, met some really successful people, built some good relationships, know a couple billionaires that I can kind of message and pick their brain. And like, that's fucking crazy. To me. And that... I can appreciate that for what it is. I don't need my stuff to appreciate what, what that's bringing to me. Dude, thank you so, so much for coming on. Bro. That was a lot for, of fun. Part one. Let's call this part one because I think we have a lot to chat about. For sure. Yeah. I know you've got a crazy week while you're here, but I appreciate Busy. you spending a couple hours with me. Thanks for having me, bro. Really Cheers. appreciate it. <clears throat> Guys, thanks so much for listening. As you can tell, Nick is like the definition of entrepreneur, and I'm pretty excited to talk to him. But how, uh, how can people reach you if they have questions? Reach out to Instagram. Denny. Yeah, Instagram. Uh, Instagram. Not an Instagram guy. A little bit of an Instagram guy. <laughs> not as much as Danny. Not as much as Jamie either. Um, Waterbridge Media Instagram is a good one. I'm always on that. Uh, LinkedIn is also a good one as well. And Danny is also a great one. Beauty. Love it. Guys, I would love to hear your feedback. Hit me up on Instagram, Denny.Duma. Later.